This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. So back in April, we asked you about topics that you'd like to hear. And so one of the topics that was voted into the top four, I was honestly surprised about it, was money. Right? We got a lot of questions about finances. And the reason I was surprised is that's often one of the most tense conversations that we have, right? We have a lot of tension around money. So many people that come to church don't want to hear the pastor talk about money. Don't like to hear the church, why don't y'all just, y'all just kind of be quiet about it. God will take care of you. But you know what's interesting? This is so interesting to me. That Jesus talked about money more than any other subject. More than any other subject. As a matter of fact, if you take the teachings that Jesus leveraged on heaven and hell, combine them, they do not equal the amount that he talked about money. Out of the 39 parables that Jesus tells in the New Testament, in the Gospels, 11 of those, 11 of those are on personal finance. 11. The majority of Jesus' teaching uses money as a practical illustration. Jesus, in his teaching, said things like this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which, if we translate that into our language, it means that the allocation of our financial resources directs the affections of our heart. Where we put our money, the decision to put our money into something will direct the flow of our affections. It will direct the flow of our affections. That choice is vitally important. And Jesus is saying, that where your treasure is, wherever you put your money, wherever you're invested into, it's going to end up directing your heart. A lot of times we think that the heart leads, but that's not true. The heart follows. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. All right. Those guys who taught the Bible, who knew the Bible, he said this, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Notice that what Jesus is saying here is that tithing isn't an issue of obligation. It's not something to put on a checklist. It's an issue of faith and trust. And that where the Pharisees had got it wrong, it was something that had become an issue of obligation. You have to do it, even all the way across the board. And he's saying, listen, you've neglected faith and trust the most important things. And that's where our giving is supposed to be born out of, is faith and trust, which is why some of you, a tithe is really hard, and for some of you, a tithe is fairly easy, and you actually should be considering to take it to the next step because that's what faith would do. Jesus said this, and this is one of the most uncomfortable things that Jesus said about money for us personally in our culture. 
Give to those who ask. And don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Y'all all have that friend, right? That friend that calls you because they can't manage their money. Friend that calls you and asks for $20. Hey, I need $20. Can you help? Can you help me get my girls into, into this program? Can you, help? Can you help me pay for my car payment? I'm, I'm running a little short this week. Can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? And you know what you do with those phone calls. You screen them, right? You don't answer them. You see that number pop up on your phone. Uh-uh. I ain't answering that. But Jesus says, no, don't turn away the one that asks. And he's put, pointing us to a very important principle. This is it. That the most fun you'll ever have with money is helping other people. Oh, we get confused about that. Because we think the most fun that we'll ever have with money is buying experiences or buying stuff. But Jesus is very clear. The most fun we'll ever have with money is helping other people. And then probably the most difficult thing that Jesus would say about money is this in Luke 16. No one can serve two masters. Notice he just starts out with this blank statement. Nobody can serve two masters. And then he begins to explain. For you will hate one and love the other. You will not be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve. Now look at the masters that he's going to select. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Here's what, what he's saying. Here's, very simple. Money makes a bad God. Because it enslaves us to the idea of more. If I were to ask every single person in this room, how much money, how much money would it take to be in your bank account for you to feel financially secure? How much money would it take? Every person in this room, the answer is going to be a little bit more. A little bit more. A little bit more than I currently have. And money enslaves us to the idea of more. So I want to take you to a parable. This is probably the most comprehensive teaching that Jesus gives us on personal finance. And I want you to see the principles that emerge out of this. It's called the, uh, we used to call it, as we were growing up, the parable of the talents. Now we call it the parable of the three servants. It begins this way in Matthew 25. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a trip. Notice that throughout this, Jesus is trying to point us towards the kingdom of heaven. Not towards the kingdom that is on earth, but towards the kingdom of heaven. He's trying to give us kingdom principles in how to deal with personal finance. Look at this. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver equal to 75 pounds to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. Now just notice that this is a considerable amount of money that is being entrusted into the hands of these servants. Dividing it in proportion, pay attention to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. Now, in the, the old days when we used to teach this passage, we used to say talent. And that word talent was literally um, a, a word that referenced a, a measure of weight in those days. So he gave five talents, and then he gave two talents, and then he gave one talent. I think it's so interesting that as we uh, move into the English language, that talent literally represents our abilities, Right? that that word means it. And there's some of us in, in the room that we are five-talent people. Some of us are two-talent people, and some of us are one-talent people. But I want you to see this as we go through this parable, that the issue in life isn't what you have, it's what you do with what you have. The issue in life is not what you have, it is what you do 
with what you have that matters. So look at what happens after the master leaves. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. He's going to go to investment. He's going to begin to work to invest the money, and he's going to earn a 100% return on the investment. Look at what the next servant does. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work. He went to work and earned Two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money, which is illustrating Proverbs 10.4, which simply says this, lazy people are soon poor, but hard workers get rich. Two went to work. One decided to be lazy and to sit on the investment. Now watch what happens when the master returns. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them in to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant who he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithfully handling a small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the one with two came forward and said, Master, you gave me two. And now here are four because I went to work and I earned. I used the opportunity that you gave me as a gateway to begin to earn, and I multiplied what you gave me. And the same words are shared. Well well done, my good and faithful servant. Those are important words to denote. So important that I love this interview with Dr. Billy Graham with Barbara Walters one time. Barbara Walters was a masterful interviewer if you ever got to watch her interview people. And she's got Dr. Graham in, a, in, in this room, and they're alone, and they're having this very intense conversation. And she's going to try to get him to talk about what people have said about him. And so she lists out several quotes from famous celebrities, some that like him and some that don't like him. And she says, Dr. Graham, What do you think of all that people have to say about you? And he responded this way. I'm living for the approval of one man. When I die, I want to hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm living for the approval of one. I don't care what they have to say about me. These two servants were faithful, one with five and one with two, very different amounts. And they experienced a loving interaction with their master. But I want you to notice how different the interaction is with the one who only had one. Pay attention to this. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Now, did he seem like a harsh man? No. Not before now. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. 
But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. So then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. Notice at the end of the parable that the one with one has none and the one with five now has eleven. Why? I want to make a few observations about this parable to you. Number one, this is in your notes today. Money makes things bigger, not better. Money makes things bigger and not better. Most people who get more money have bigger house payments, bigger car payments. It makes things bigger, not better. And here's the problem with See, money will not change your character, but it will reveal your character. And most of us think that our our problems could be solved. All of our problems, everything that's wrong in my life could be solved if I just had a little bit more money. But here's the thing. If you got problems right now, you got more money, you got bigger problems. Problems aren't going away because the problems have absolutely nothing to do with the money. Problems have to do with you. How many of y'all got some crazy in your family? Anybody? I got some crazy in my family. I'm just going to go ahead and say it, okay? I got some, okay? I got some crazy just right here, okay? Here's the thing. You got crazy in your family, you throw more money at it, you know what you get? More crazy. That's what you get, more crazy. But here's the thing, too. If you have very little, but you have a generous heart, you know what happens when you have more? You're more generous. I love Rick Warren. He's a, kind of a hero of mine. He's a pastor of Saddleback Church out in L.A. And, man, he's just influenced the Christian movement over the last 20 years, maybe like no other leader has. It takes a lot of criticism, takes a lot of heat in different ways, but He's exceptionally generous. As a matter of fact, he he made millions and millions and millions of dollars off of the book that he wrote called The Purpose Driven Life. Many of you have read that before. And when he did, he went back to his church saddleback and he said, listen, y'all have been so good to me. You paid me well all these years. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay you back every penny you ever paid me. Paid them back. But I still want to be your pastor. So I'll pastor from now on for free. And people say, Rick, I've heard him say this before. Rick, it's so easy for you to be generous because you have so much money. He says, you don't get it. For the first 10 years of Saddleback, we were a small church. And I never made more than $18,000 a year. But our family gave away at least 20% of our income. We were generous when we had little, and we will be generous when we have more. Because things get bigger Not necessarily better. Number two, your money isn't your money. Your money is not your money. It's tough for many of us. But this parable parable so beautifully illustrates that. Right? Because all of it is the master's money. It's not the servant's money. The money belongs to the master. That's where they got. It was given to them by the master. 
But so, so quickly, we get into this kind of perception that it's, it's our money. I earned it. I deserve it. I just feel at times that I need to remind you that on the same day that you were born, in another part of this world, where people who are born do not have the kind of education or opportunities that you had growing up, there was another person that was born that's just as smart as you, just as capable as you, that is living in what we would call in America poverty simply because of where they were born. If you feel like you earned it, let me just remind you, you earned it with the opportunities that God gave you. It's very important for us to be reminded of that truth, that our money is not our money. You need a reminder of that? Go to a funeral. I've never seen a wire transfer into eternity. Someday all that money that you're saving, somebody else is going to spend it. That house that you've worked so hard on, somebody else is going to live in it. This life will come to an end. And the resources that you have been entrusted with will pass into the hands of somebody else. Psalm 50, God gives us that reminder. Remember, they lived in a very agricultural-based society. He says this, I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens, for all the animals of the forest are mine. And I own the cattle on a thousand hills. He's saying, listen, I don't need your money. I don't need your, because re- it's all mine anyway. I don't need it. How many of y'all have kids and have noticed how easy it is for kids to start using the word mine? I never had to teach my kids the word mine. They learned it somehow. So easy and so fast that they start to think, this is mine. This is my toy. And they'll fight with each other about whose toy it is. Throw tantrums about it being their toy. Get in trouble over their toy. But here's the thing. Legally, they don't own anything. They don't. I own everything they have. It's all mine. They don't realize that sometimes. I remind them of it often, though. (laughs) See, the truth is is that we don't own what we have. It all belongs to God. And when we realize that, we start asking different questions. We stop asking the question, what should I do with the money I have? And we start asking, God, what do you want me to do with the money that you've trusted me with? And number three, Number three, money will not make your life better. It will not make your life better. So many of us are bought into this lie that if we could just somehow find a little bit more financial resource, our life would be so much easier. That's a lie. That's a lie. As a matter of fact, we're living in a week where it was put on display for us this week. Several high-level celebrities took their lives in depression this week. Kate Spade was one of those. Designer, entrepreneur, worth over $150 million. There's not any of us in this room that understands what that kind of wealth is. Took her life this week. If you think money's going to make your life better, you've missed the point. 
As a matter of fact, this is the truth. The more you have been entrusted with, the more that God will expect from you. More money will not make your life better. More money will make your life more complicated. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 12. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. See, the more that we gain, the more that God intends to use us to do. And so we have to learn to be faithful with a little so that we can be trusted with more. And I believe for some of us in this room, if we can learn that principle to be faithful in a little, that God will be able to trust us with more. In 10 years, we will look back and go, that was a little. That was a little. God has trusted me with so much more. So how do we be faithful? What are good biblical financial principles so that we can be good stewards of the resources that He has given us? Let's walk through that today. What would it take? Number one, live on a written budget. Live on a written budget is a very important principle. If I asked you today to raise your hand and show how many of you are living on a written budget, many of you could not raise your hand. But look at what Jesus said about this in Luke 14. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it or not? First. It's the first thing that happens before each month. And there are many of you that when we talk about generosity and giving, so many of you push back and go, but Kevin, I'm just living paycheck to paycheck. Barely making ends meet. Let me remind you of something that the Bible says. This is the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians writing from a jail cell in the middle of Rome where God has been taking care of him. And he writes to this church in Philippi and he says, this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. He will supply all your needs. God will take care of you. See, the problem isn't what God's provided. The problem is our pride. Because in our pride, we have confused wants and needs. The average middle-income family that's struggling to pay rent has a cable bill of over $100 a month. Wants and needs. We confuse wants and needs. And in our pride, we don't want anybody telling us what to do with our money. We need to humble ourselves and finally step to God and say, God, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. Do you realize that the number one stated cause of divorce on divorce filings is money fights? Money fights. Fighting about money. Why is that? It's so simple. Is that people who are married aren't doing money together. So why should you 
have a budget. Let me, let me explain this for you. See, a budget lets you work together on money decisions before they need to be made. Money lets you work together on money decisions before they need to be made. See, you've got to decide sometimes between this and that. And when you sit down and look at it and you realize, well, we can't do this and we can't do that, it lets you sit down and actually talk through the decision ahead of time so that you got a budget and you know what you can do. And it forces you to work together. So the first thing is live on a written budget. Number two, avoid debt. Avoid debt. National Automakers Association released data that the average car payment in America is $499, $500 a month on a new car financed for 60 months, which is five years. Based on current interest rates, that means if you pay that full term, you will pay around $5,000 in interest. Now let's take a moment. In Stanley County, the average household income is around $36,000, $38,000 a year. That means the average family in our community would go to work for three months, three months to pay the interest on that loan. Just to pay the interest on a car that will not appreciate in value, that will depreciate throughout the entire life that you own. I think that's why Proverbs 22 verse 7 says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. The average middle income family in America is spending more than 100% of their household income. This is why a written budget is vital and important. Some studies suggest that we're spending up to 120% of our monthly income. How are we doing that? Through debt. We're getting into debt, as Dave Ramsey says, to buy things to impress people that we don't even like. See, here's the thing, that most of us look down the road and we want to be financially secure. We want to be able to take care of our kids and fund their college. We want, we want to be able to live a life that's very different. But here's the thing, don't sacrifice what you want in the future for what you want right now. Because when you're in the store and those shoes that you've been looking at forever are finally 20% off. But you don't have the money in the bank account. You don't have the money in the budget. You whip out that card. That 20% off is not going to be 20% off. Over the life of you paying that off on the credit card, it's going to become over 100% inflated in its price. It's going to cost you. Don't sacrifice what you want in the future for what you want right now. Number three, foster high-quality relationships. Now, what are you talking about relationships, Kevin? It's supposed to be about personal finances. Why are you talking about having, having good relationships? Well, here's the thing. This is such an interesting study. A sociologist would tell you that over the next 10 years, your household income will norm to your 10 closest friends. Your household income, what you bring in, will norm to your 10 closest friends. You're going to learn how to do money and how to do life from the people that you do life with. And if you live with people who live on debt, you will learn to live on debt. 
And they will influence you to do things that cause you to become less financially stable. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. I've been blessed to be around some people who are very wealthy. Very wealthy. have some good friends who have been good stewards. Not, not, not the kind of people that you would think who, who have made a lot of money or inherited. They've just been good stewards. And one of the things I noticed, I went over to one of their houses one time. It's like, everything y'all have is Walmart brand. Everything. Y'all got Walmart brand plates, Walmart brand cups. You got Walmart brand milk. Everything is Walmart brand. Why? Because they learn that extra dollar doesn't matter. And I promise you that some of the influence that I've gained from their relationships has changed my perspective. See, this is why we say this. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Look around at your friends. Do you want that financial future? Do you want their marriage? Do you want the way that they do relationships? Do you want that future? Because if you show me your friends, I can show you your future. Number four, and I won't spend much time kind of saying much about this, but this is a very important biblical principle that we must learn to save and invest. Save and invest. We need to save money. How many of y'all know grandma said save for a rainy day, right? We need to save. There are things that are going to break. Water heater is going to go out. Air conditioning is going to go out. It's going to happen. Alternator is going to go out. We need to save for the things that can happen. We need to save for retirement and invest for retirement. That's important. Some of us that have kids, especially young kids, we need to save to help our kids get an education where they're not going to come out of it with an unbearable amount of debt. You save and invest. Look at what the Bible says. It's so important. Proverbs 21, verse 20. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. Stores. And realize that in their day, food and oil were currency. This is what they traded and gave to people in methods of exchange. And so the Bible's telling us that, that the, the wise keep a, a store. Look at the full verse, though, out of the New Living. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. This is not me, but this is the Bible speaking. If you live paycheck to paycheck, you're living like a fool. The issue is not what you have. The issue is what you do with what you have. And last, proven biblical financial principles be incredibly generous. The most fun you're ever going to have with money is helping people and giving it away. That's the most fun you're ever going to have with money. Not shared experiences, not vacations. It's not buying stuff. It's not a bigger house. As a matter of fact, there's a family in the first service that walked out and said, we need to do a budget. We're in a financial position for the first time in our lives that we can give. And we've been living without a budget, but now we realize if we, if we budget, we can give more. We can help more people. We can give more money. We can make a bigger difference. 
That's the most fun you'll ever have with money is giving it away and making a difference in the life of somebody else. Look at 2 Corinthians 9 says, God loves a cheerful giver. And he loves it when we choose to embrace generosity and we give with a cheerful heart. Why? Because that's the nature of God himself. See, God by nature is a giver. You know the verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's who God is. He gave his only son so that whoever would receive him, whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. God held nothing back. God is a giver. And if we're going to reflect him, our lives need to hold nothing back too. Today, there are some of you that are in seasons of a little. You're in a one-talent season. I just want you to know, be faithful with a little. Be faithful with a little. Some of you are in two-talent seasons. Be faithful with a little. Because when we're faithful with a little, it proves to God what He already knows as He sees the faith in our heart that He can trust us with more. Really, He's building the character to withstand holding more. Some of us haven't been willing to go through the testing and the trials that it takes to build the character and integrity to stand under more. And if God gave you more, your life would crash because you're not ready for it. So today, let's realize that it's not, it's not about what we have. It's about what we do with what we have that matters. That ushers us into God's presence where one day we could hear, well done, my good and faithful son. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.